Bates alongside Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. This is our debut show on Barnburner, and we could not be more excited to get started here as we have lots to cover. But before we get to that, please remember to download both the Barnburner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire and Fire TV Sticks, Roku and Roku Sticks, also on Smart TVs 2016 and forward. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. How are we doing? Fantastic. Good, good. Excited, excited to be here. Super excited. Yes, we have not done a show um, in about two weeks. Uh, the last one we did on Elizabeth Rosetstan's show, just sort of teeing up what our show is about. So we missed some news in the NHL, starting with two key trades. And I don't want to waste too much time with intros. I want to get right into it. The first one being the trade between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, Kasperi Kapanen, Jesper Lindgren, and Pontus Aberg to the Pittsburgh Penguins in exchange for a 2020 first round pick, Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hollander, and David Warsawski. Um, a big trade sparked a lot of debate, a lot of discussion around what this could mean for Toronto. Uh, in general, Luke, I'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts on this trade? Um, I was at my cottage when this happened, so I was struggling to kind of keep up with what was going on. And to be honest, I was I was really surprised at uh, at first. I thought um, this is, at least from my perspective, it's kind of a, a no brainer deal for Toronto. It just it it makes sense for them across the board. Um, obviously for Pittsburgh too, um, it, it's not, I, I wouldn't say anyone totally got fleeced. I would say Toronto won it. There's definitely some positives for Pittsburgh. Uh, but that first round pick, I think most people would agree, uh, that looks really good being added in, but, um, significantly for me, I'm really interested in what this means for, um, <clears throat> uh, Toronto's situation going into this off season, maybe next off season, especially in terms of, um, if it has any effect on maybe a goalie, which I think we're going to get into shortly, but obviously I think um, good trade for Toronto. It makes sense. I think people kind of saw something like this coming. So yeah, Nick, we'll move on to you. What are your thoughts? Uh, it makes sense for both sides. For me, I see the appeal to Pittsburgh wanting to add a bit more scoring uh, captain speed, his ability on the penalty kill. I see it there because obviously Pittsburgh really fell flat in the play-in qualification round against Montreal, and that sort of surprised everybody. But I also see a lot of sense on Toronto's side as in they wanted to cash in on Kapanen. You know, his value, his perceived value is probably a bit higher than his actual on-ice value and what he brings to the table on the ice. So I see cashing in. The thing to me that did not make a lot of sense was the price that Pittsburgh paid. I think they way overpaid for Kapanen here. I think there's been a lot of other wingers on the market that we've seen traded over the past year or so. And a lot of them are better than Kasperi Kapanen yet have not fetched that same return. So I was pretty confused from that standpoint, especially with Pittsburgh. And we know Crosby and Malkin have been around forever and they're going to try and win every year that these guys are in the league. So they need to continue to add to that core that they have with guys like Kapanen. But at the same time, they're sort of in that in-between position where they should probably look at getting a bit younger at some point. So when you're relinquishing, what is it, a 15th overall pick for Kasperi Kapanen, I, I don't see the sense in that move for them. I like Kapanen, the player. I like the move, what he brings to Pittsburgh. I just really, really question the price they paid. 
Yeah, I think uh, you said it right there. They capitalized on Kapanen's perceived value. Look, Leaf fans were really excited when they made that trade with Phil Kessel uh, about five, six years ago. And I think it shows now Kapanen's underlying numbers. He was really a third liner. Yeah, a lot of speed to burn, and he, he showed sort of flashes. But this is a player who struggled to play top six with Austin Matthews, with John Tavares, and always seemed to be sort of an excellent penalty killer. Uh, secondary scoring, he did pretty well. Um, so I think this is an excellent move. And look, I always credit Jim Rutherford for always hammering home the idea that they have to win now. Every single year, he tries to win now. Picking up uh, Jason Zucker before adding a veteran presence like Patrick Marlowe. These are fine moves. But at a certain point, like you said, they have to get a little bit younger. They might want to add a little bit of picks because now you moved on uh, from Philip Hollander and Kalen Addison is gone. Now you basically have Samuel Poulain as the only sort of I don't even want to say a blue chip prospect, but their top prospect to, to come in for them. So um, hopefully there's more for Pittsburgh. I th- we already saw the coaching changes a little bit. Um, I know there is talk. I know some people at least are pretty fed up with Mike Sullivan. Um, we'll see what Pittsburgh does. But from Toronto, this is a this is a win from Dubas. And I think Leafs fans should be pretty excited. Now, moving on to the next part with this pick is who Toronto targets with this pick and if the pick is going to be on the move. Um, there are a lot of NHL ready defensemen or, or the closest defensemen to being NHL ready. Um, Braden Schneider is the one that is getting the most attention, especially on Twitter. Uh, I like Braden Schneider. He's more of a presence more than he is a skilled guy. You have top wingers like Jack Quinn and Seth Jarvis on the board, but a lot of Leaf fans seem to be excited about Braden Schneider. Is it worth taking the fifth, making the 15th overall pick a positional pick like a right-handed defenseman? What do you guys think? Nick, we'll start with you. I'd be pretty surprised in general if Toronto even made the selection at 15. I'm not going to be surprised if Toronto makes a first round pick. I see why they draft well. So I see why Dubas is trying to vault into the first round every year because there are some good players available, especially in this draft. It's such a deep class. But I would be genuinely surprised if Toronto made the selection at 15 and didn't at least investigate the idea of moving that pick. I'd probably make the pick if I were them. It, like, I, it can't hurt. You can never make a mistake selecting at 15th overall. Like, it, when you're a team like that, that's closer to playoff contention and probably should have been in the playoffs. And that pick should have been, or usually their pick would be higher up. They didn't have one this year. So I see the appeal to them of moving in now to the 15 position and wanting to pick. But I'd be really surprised if Dubas didn't at least do his due diligence and try and move that pick to upgrade the current roster, despite what you think they could get at that position on the draft board, because Toronto is very much in a win now mode and they have been for a while and they've got to do it with this core because obviously you want to try and win sooner rather than later. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're so starved for success. So there, while there might be some good players available, while it might make sense for them to draft, it might make even more sense for them to try and upgrade the current NHL roster as is. And Luke, we'll go to you. Um, in terms of whether you pick best player available or pick for position, I'm just, I'll say pick best player available. Uh, I've always kind of been on that, especially in the first round, maybe even uh, it depends on the second round, but especially in the first round, but in terms of whether they actually keep the pick, um, kind of in a sticky situation. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, the Leafs are, you know, with, 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 the, with the core they have now, they're, you, you have to think maybe Dubas is feeling forced to, um, 
to to think to think for the for the now like nick said both kind of make sense but i wouldn't be surprised um if if they make a move and and try to acquire something that's going to help them this or next year year after um again like nick said you can't go wrong with making that pick but I think Toronto, I think Leafs management is in a, a pretty precarious spot there because no matter what you do, something something is going to come up a bit short. So, Yeah, it's, it's sort of a weird situation. If they move that pick for an NHL player now, Dubas will be accused of not uh, having enough ready for the future. If yep. you do draft, people are going to say, well, that doesn't help us right now. You look at the two wingers, the three wingers at least, like uh, Jarvis, Quinn, uh, Amirov, these are players who won't be ready for another two to three years. Does Toronto need that much help on the wing? And then you have a defenseman like Holger Granz, Braden Schneider. Um, that is a positional pick. And then in four years, when those wingers do well, they're going to get mad at Dubas for not picking those wingers. So it's really, it really is a, a peculiar situation. I think there is a chance he moves it. I know a lot of Leafs fans, at least on Twitter, from what I've seen, are hoping that he moves into the top 10 uh, for help right away. But again, the same the thing with Toronto is like they need help defensively. I don't know if Drysdale or Sanderson help them defensively right away. I don't think those are are ready to uh, those players are ready to jump jump in right away. Sort of like Quinn Hughes after a year. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, moving on from the pick, but into what Toronto is looking as their offseason outlook. Uh, Friedman in his thirty one thoughts mentioned that Carolina has interest in Frederick Anderson and that Toronto would not be in a position to move unless it's for a clear upgrade. Uh, this sparked again, of course, lots of discussion, especially on Leafs Twitter. Um, do you guys think they move on from Frederick Anderson? And if he does go to Carolina, what would that deal sort of look like? Uh, Luke, we'll start with you. I, I, like, I don't, I don't think there's any immediate issue with, um, with Frederick Anderson. I, there are definitely some, uh, some problems that we've seen over the past few years, notably in some, in some playoffs, but I like it's I, I think people are kind of pointing at that as perhaps maybe I mean there's going to be a lot of problems of the offseason but that's a big one I don't really see it like that if they keep Anderson Anderson's a really good goalie I don't I don't think that's a major issue if Anderson starts for them next year if they move him I would trust Dubas to not make a, a very short-sighted decision and I think moving him for maybe you know I, I I don't have any hypotheticals exactly for this scenario, but I, I would think maybe a Jacob Markstrom would look good in Toronto. Um, I, I don't, I'm not huge on, on Matt Murray there. Not, not that I care too much, but I also don't get why uh, a lot of Leafs fans are vehemently against him. Uh, Matt Murray is a good goalie too, but I think, like I said, there's no huge issue with Frederick Anderson. So I, I think maybe, don't make a problem there if there isn't one, but I mean, yeah, I think Dubas obviously should, should see what his options are. Nick. Am I the only one that doesn't understand the sudden hype around trading Frederick Anderson? Like I really don't understand it from Toronto's perspective. I think we're all in agreement here. <laughs> I mean, I sort of agree with cashing in on players, but I don't think Toronto is in a position where they need to go and cash in on Frederick Anderson. They're, a contending team at least that's what they want to be they haven't gotten to that position in the playoffs yet ever <laughs> with this core but I don't see the necessity in trading Frederick Anderson yes he only has a year left on his contract 
And yes, you maybe don't have to re-sign him and you can investigate signing somebody else on the market or addressing that need then. But what you're doing if you're trading Frederick Anderson, your Toronto is, let's say they cannot adequately replace him right away. Then you are running the risk of, you know, wasting another year with this core that they have in position. So I don't understand it from that perspective. They know what they have in Frederick Anderson. Frederick Anderson has been probably one of the top 10, even top five at some points goalies in the past few seasons. So I don't understand all of a sudden trading him. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know if that's more media speculation based on his playoff performances and he was, for the most part, fine the past couple of years, except for game sevens, of course. He was pretty shaky. But I don't know how much of that you can blame on him and would therefore, I don't know, propose trading him as opposed to some of the other roster players they have. They know what they have in Fred Anderson, so I don't understand it completely from Toronto's perspective. I think this is, I, I think this would be an overreaction to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead, Pat. Go no, you go ahead. I Pat. think yeah, it, it's a weird situation. And again, we have to acknowledge this is Toronto. This does happen with literally every single player on their team at any given point during the season. Um, look, Frederick Anderson has had his difficulties throughout the season. Um, consistency has been uh, a struggle for him. But look, he's making five million dollars. He's thirty. He's uh, yeah, about yeah. in his prime, I would say. Um, he's a UFA at the end of this at the end of next year. Sorry, making about five million dollars. Uh, whether or not he takes a discount to stay in Toronto, depending on how much they progress next year. Uh, if there is a season, we'll see. But I agree completely. I don't understand the sudden need to trade uh, Frederick Anderson. I think I look at the playoffs and when Frederick Anderson is on his game, he is really hard to beat. I look at the series against Washington. He played pretty well uh, in 2016, I believe, against Boston. He played pretty well, like you said, Nick, game sevens. But goalies are weird. And I think Frederick Anderson is one of the better ones in the league uh, he's only making $5 million. I don't see why they would trade him. You look at someone, I'm seeing a ton of trade proposals mentioning Matt Murray. Matt Murray is definitely a downgrade on uh, Frederick Anderson. That's just my thoughts. I don't think it makes sense for Leafs to move on, move on from him unless they can really cash in. But he's sort of with that trajectory of trying, of aiming to win now. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Luke, you wanted to add something. I just, I, I think you kind of covered it. I think Anderson might be getting kind of unlucky this off season as every off season, there seems to be a few leafs that do. And he happens to be the skate of the scapegoat, um, especially with goalies. You see that, but I, I, you have to wonder, um, are these vague Murray rumors uh, kind of fueling this? And it's, it's all just getting blown out of proportion. I'd love to ask Dubis, you know, how, how serious are these rumors compared to what the media is making them out to be? And I bet, I bet it's, it's a fraction of what, of what it appears to be. So I got one more quick thing to add. I know we're going to talk about Matt Murray a bunch more later because his name has definitely been out there uh, from what we've seen online, but I know Matt Murray's a younger than Fred Anderson. Matt Murray has got two Stanley cups to his name already at such a young age, but I, I think Patrick, you touched on it. it as far as we know, data wise, like he is at this point, at least most definitely a downgrade over Frederick Anderson. Like he has to be, he had a terrible year last year and was pretty much uh, Tristan Jari was pretty much the one who took over the reins in the Pittsburgh net and across Frederick Anderson's career. He's never had a year as poor as Matt Murray did last year. And we know goalies are so there's, it's the weirdest position in hockey. Some years, some guys are great. Some years they're awful. So who knows? Matt Murray could be excellent again next year, but Frederick Anderson has at least been pretty consistent 
throughout his career, more consistent than a lot of goalies in the NHL. So again, I just, I don't see the sense in this one. Yeah. One last thing I will add. Um, the biggest criticism, one of the biggest uh, situations for Toronto this year was their backup goalie situation. Michael Hutchinson, people weren't, when, when Michael Hutchinson was letting in terrible goals, people were blaming the fact that Anderson didn't have a serviceable backup. They get Jack Campbell. Uh, I don't think Jack Campbell can be a starter. I think this can be a serviceable tandem for Toronto down the road. That way you can forget about uh, goaltending as a situation for a little bit, move on to what really is a pressing need, and that is defense. And you look at Toronto, they are one of the leading leading teams in allowing shots uh, from high danger chances. So um, that's another factor to consider when looking at whether or not their goaltending is good or bad. Uh, moving on to another goaltending situation, another trade we wanted to cover. Uh, this was about a week ago. Um, Jake Allen has been traded to the Montreal Canadiens uh, and a seventh round pick from 2022 from the St. Louis Blues in return for a third round pick in 2020, which Montreal acquired from Washington and a seventh round pick in 2020, which Montreal um, acquired from Chicago. Two goalies, $15 million, a lot of money. Uh, your initial thoughts on the trade, Luke, we'll start with you. Um, it's a lot of money to put to put towards two goalies. And on certain teams, I think that would be quite worrisome. On Montreal, I don't think that's the fact. Um, 15 million towards, and one of them is Carey Price. So let's, you know, remember that it's Carey Price. Uh, and Jake Allen has one more year left um, left on his deal. I I think it's fine. Like it's, Montreal has has the room to do that. That's a, that's a good setup for next year. Give Price, you know, a bit of a break. Let him play. 50 games maybe um i i think i think it's a fine deal it makes sense the numbers are a little bit uh are a little bit out there but when you really look at it i have no issue with that trade i think it's fine i know a lot of people jumped up initially and said this trade was horrific for montreal because why are you adding a close to five million dollar backup goalie you got 15 million dollars in goalies right now but at the end of the day it, like montreal really didn't give up much if anything at all to bring in Jake Allen. Jake Allen had a really solid year last year. He's proven to be pretty decent when he's in a tandem, not when he's the go-to starter. And he's not going to be that in Montreal. He's going to be in a tandem. So they're trying to set Jake Allen up for success. And we know Montreal is not going to spend anywhere near the salary cap limit next year. So as far as I'm concerned, what they're bringing in 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 a salary cap hit here is really no concern at all. If they can afford to do it for just one year, I think that's fine. Jake Allen's obviously not going to get that much on his next contract, whether that's with Montreal or on the open market. So I think at the end of the day, like that component, it's pretty irrelevant in this trade. So how I'm pretty much looking at it is from Montreal's perspective. If they think they're going to be decent next year, they're going to need a serviceable tandem to do it and to make the playoffs and Montreal has not had a good backup goalie. I think Patrick, you and I chatted about this since Peter Budai, right? They've failed. At, yeah, yeah. They've, they failed at every chance to add a solid backup to carry price. Yeah. And this is by far the best shot they've taken at trying to fill that role from what I've seen. So I, I don't see the harm in it. If Montreal thinks they want to push for the playoffs next year And even if, let's say, come trade deadline, whenever that may be, whenever the season starts, we have no idea. But Montreal can easily retain half the salary and move Jake Allen. Like, it's not that big of a deal, I don't think. So this this trade is fine for Montreal. They'll get the full value of 
what was it like a fourth round pick that they ended up giving at that point for the trade? What was the full trade? It was, so it was a Allen and a seventh uh, for a third in 2020, um, which wasn't even their third. It was Chicago's and a seventh in 2020, which wasn't okay. theirs. It was so Chicago's. it's a third round pick for Jake Allen. You're, yeah. you're going to get that value in games yeah. played, or you're going to recoup it at the deadline as far yep. as I'm concerned. So I think it's a solid trade for Montreal. It's fine. Yeah, I think the initial reaction was, wow, 15 million is a lot for two boys. And it is a lot. Um, no one's disagreeing with that. But the fact is 15 million and two goalies, and they still have about 50, upwards of 15 million uh, in space this year. So I'm not really worried about their cap situation whatsoever. Um, they picked up Ilya Kovalchuk for free, uh, flipped him for a third, and then gave that third for Allen. Look, Allen was, be- was better than Bennington this year, that's for sure. And look, Price in three of his last four seasons has played well over 60 games. He's 33. We see what arrested Carey Price can do. We look in the playoffs against Pittsburgh. Um, if Montreal want to, wants to sort of move or shift towards a tandem system between Price and Allen, I'm all for it. Um, I think it's a great trade. Montreal still has a lot of picks. They're not pressed up against the cap. And like you said, Peter Budai was the last good backup, and that was in 2014, Bergevin. One of his biggest shortcomings, I would say, was failing to address a backup. So I'm happy with that. They get one of the best goalies in the market. And um, overall, I think it's a good trade. However, this has led to um, more conversations. And some people are think this is just a tandem. Some people think it is the start of something bigger. Uh, you have McNiven, who was OHL goalie of the year a couple of years ago. You have Lindgren, who I think is a fine backup. Uh, Caden Primo. You still have Keith Kincaid. Uh, this is a lot of goalies. Do you think Carey Price or one of their goalie prospects could be traded? Uh, Luke, we'll start with you. One of the prospects, sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Carey Price, no. I mean, of course he could, but I don't see it. Why would you? Uh, maybe a few years down the road, but I don't see any reason to move Carey Price now. Yeah, you just listed off a number of of um, solid goalie prospects. Yeah, it would it would be a be a reasonable decision to to move one of them. But I, uh, I like I'll focus in on Carey Price. I don't think there's any any need to move to move him right now. Probably not next season either. I'd I'd keep him around for you know at least two to three years before you consider consider moving him. All right. I only mentioned that because at the deadline and just all over Twitter, there seems to be, uh, for whatever reason, I know we've talked about it with some of our friends, the potential of Carey Price going to Colorado. Colorado has the space. Um, Francois and Grubauer don't cut it for uh, Colorado and McKinnon and McCarr. Uh, it doesn't really work with them. I've seen a lot of talk about Price going to Colorado. Uh, Nick, do you think this is a possibility that Montreal moves on from Carey Price? No, because I don't think anybody's going to take that salary. I really don't. I like Carey Price. He is what he is right now. He's been really on and off the past couple of seasons, especially since that long-term contract kicked in. But he was really on in this year's playoffs, which I think has sort of, you know, started that speculation again that they could move on from him. I don't see it making sense for a team like Colorado at all. Colorado's got they do have the space and they've got a fantastic young core and they're probably going to be the best team in the national hockey league for the next five years. Like that's not up for debate. So I don't see the sense for them in adding $10 million in an aging carry price. I know you said that Francois and Grubauer don't cut it. I, I 
think I tend to disagree with that one. I do think the both of them are solid. I think Francois had a re- really fine rookie year for a guy who sort of emerged out of nowhere. And Grubauer was decent. Uh, he was okay in his like first real starting gig in the NHL. So I'm fine with those two as a tandem going forward. If they want to address a goalie, I think the way for Colorado to do it is in the open market. I don't see the sense for them though, in adding Carey Price. All right, Luke, do you have anything to add or can we move on from this? No, I, I agree. Um, that's a good point. I don't know who, like not to say Carey Price isn't one of, if not the best goalie in the league, but I don't know who would, what kind of team is in a situation yeah. where they would want to take him on. Yep, that's fair. And we all know how the last time how last time went when Montreal traded a goalie to Colorado, so we don't have to talk about that. Chances are maybe not trading price would be the better move um, for the organization long term. Uh, let's move on to some current events in hockey. Um, the series that are happening, uh, Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars, they are tied uh, 1-1. We want to start with the Ryan Reeves suspension and talk a little about Ryan Reeves and what it means to be a presence player in the NHL. Is that underrated? Is that overrated? Um, Reeves was suspended one game, I believe. What do you guys think? Nick, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the suspension. Like the suspension was totally fair, totally deserved. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much on Reeves specifically other than that. I think the suspension was totally fair. I still think it should have been more, but he did deserve to get suspended. But again, it comes back to, I think it was Brian Burke who said that in the league offices, they use the measurement one playoff game equals four regular season games. So he definitely should have gotten more, but I mean, this is, this is pretty consistent thing that we see with uh, role players, especially as we get deeper into the playoffs, they're just trying to spark their team more by throwing the body on the line, throwing out big hits. And, you know, sometimes it, we see the rough end of that, which is why Ryan Reeves was suspended. All right. Well, let's expand on what you said there, because you mentioned, or I guess what Brian Burke said is that one playoff game equals four yeah. regular season games. I must have missed the memo on that because I didn't know that was like, well, you know, I, well, you've heard that, but like, apparently yeah. that's a thing. Since when is that? Is so, that yeah, a, let's, a cut it's not fair at all. Let's get into that because um, we've seen playoff suspensions. We've seen casually get suspended in the playoffs for dirty plays. Uh, one game is definitely not enough. I would have gone at least at least three, probably minimum three. Um, what do you guys think? Luke, what do you think of the whole one playoff game equals four regular season games? Do you agree with that because it's playoffs? I, well, here, here, I don't have an issue per se with, with that kind of waiting system, but the fact that it's sort of an unwritten rule at this point, that doesn't really make sense to me at all. Like, I, I get it. I understand why why Burke said that, and I understand why that's kind of a thing. Obviously, playoff games mean that much more compared to regular season games. But first of all, they haven't, you know, there, there's nothing written down about that. So that's a bit questionable. And second of all, you you'd you'd want to think that that incidents like this, where especially especially head injuries uh happen you know, consider like, consider the player's health above anything else. Like Tyler Mott, that, that was, that was scary. I'm, I'm surprised he he's okay. Uh, That was really scary. And, and the fact that they, that they consider, you know, Oh, we're, this is game seven of the, of round two in the playoffs. Let's take that into consideration when he just ran Tyler Mott and 
and you know ryan reeves a huge guy just i it looked like 100 percent of the hit was on his head yeah and they can they consider that it's playoffs when they when they decide what kind of punishment to give him i don't know at least come out and say that that's in your decision process because if you don't say anything then all you have is people like brian burke a media member now yeah. explaining to the viewers that's how they make the decision and the viewers are left like is that legit or is this actually a one game a one game yeah. suspension that the nhl has seen because without that explanation the nhl is is setting that precedent that that kind of hit on mott that's one game and yeah it's the playoffs but there's nothing cut and dry about that so why should why should exactly. you know viewers expect expect that kind of waiting system when it comes to suspensions i, yeah. I just it doesn't make sense like the nhl should say something about it i think you said it perfectly there i think a lot of times people almost after there's a dirty play not side with the player who delivered the hit but sort of look at their situation more than the player who got hit there was more worried more worrisome from for vegas fans who were thinking yeah. well Will he play in game seven? When's he going to play next? Same thing with Kadri. Leafs fans are like, well, was Kadri going to play when he got suspended? And they're, they're thinking, well, we don't want to take away that game. You know, what if they miss this many playoff games? And there's not enough focus or emphasis on the player who got injured. That hit, that hit was entirely to the head uh, of Tyler Mott. And the fact that most people jump to, well, how many playoff games is he going to miss? Is that is that worth it? Is it really worth missing that many playoff games rather than focusing on um, the fact that there are still head hits, that there are still dangerous plays? And how players like Ryan Reeves continue to get away with it, despite, um, you know, despite action, at least attempted action from the league. Uh, Luke, you want to add? Yeah. And then <laughs> kind of on that, like a thing I noticed when Reeves returned, I don't know how I saw this because I don't follow any Vegas socials at all, but um when Reeves returned his first game back, there was, there's kind of, there was a lot of hype. Like he's back. Ryan Reeves is back. Let's go. Like, um, you know, the, the, the enforcer probably, maybe the best in the yep. league he's back like why is that something that's that's being celebrated he just got suspended for a game for an extremely dirty hit and now he's back and everyone's like heck yeah man ryan reeves is back and he goes out and he just he's ryan reeves again like it doesn't it, it doesn't make yeah. sense to me that these suspensions are supposed to supposed to kind of tone down these players and these hits especially players like ryan reeves Terrifying. And he takes his suspension and then he comes back and it's just like nothing ever happened. It's like, everyone's like, yeah, you know, the suspension's just part of it. And now he's back and he's going to keep going and he's going to be Ryan Reeves again. It just, it, I don't know. Nick, you're actively anti-grit. So I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I'll give you the floor. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't know. I, like to me, this all just points back towards the construct of what playoff hockey is because I feel like when we see chippy play, we're at that time of the year when we see chippy plays, uh, hacks, cross checks, late hits, all that. The first thing you're going to hear on the TV is what? Well, it's playoff hockey, right? How many times do we hear that a game? How, how many times are those, is that phrase used in a game this time of year? Well, this is playoff hockey. Yeah. I think that's just a complete, you know, the NHL is inviting violence like this when they're deliberately allowing the referees to yeah. loosen up the calls and call less because it's playoff hockey, because this is what happens this time of year. I think, I don't think there's an actual shift in how the team's played. I just think less and less and less is called 
if they called the games exactly by the rule book, I think we're, they don't already in the regular season, the referees, they let a lot of stuff go, but they let even more stuff go in the playoffs. So I think if the referees were to actually call smaller infractions like they do in the regular season and like they should be doing overall, I think overall you'd see a lot less stuff like this in the playoffs. And I know I'll chip back to the actual Reeves hit, which is like the topic of question here, but you know, the four to one ratio for suspension from playoff to regular season is insane to me because at the end of the day, Ryan Reeves deliberately or not went and hit Tyler Mott in the head. He made complete contact with his head. And thankfully I think Tyler Mott was pretty okay after everything like that. I don't think he was out. I don't think he's supposed to be out or anything. If well, you can correct me on that if I'm wrong, now, but they're all out now, but regardless, um, you know, it, that sucks if you're Vancouver or like say, because say Vancouver wins that game seven and Tyler Mott was hurt. Then you're missing a roster player because he was just hit and Ryan yeah. Reeves is going to be walk away fine from it. Right. It's not. Yeah. It's not like the, the, the victim in the play also adheres to that four to one yeah, rule right, where, right. you know, the, the injury itself is only a quarter as dangerous as, as, as it was. Well, that's exactly so. it. You, you hit the nail on the head right there the injury and the extent of what yeah. the player is doing is not a quarter of dangerous or yeah. impactful as it is in the regular season. So why are we not suspending them for the same for the same amount of time? Yeah. I think they absolutely should be like that four to one rule. Although that's not technically a rule, it's what the league's doing. It's again in constructing something around what the idea of playoff hockey is supposed to be. And I know it is more meaningful. It means a lot more. One game in the playoffs means a lot more than one regular season game, but we got to call stuff by the rules here because it, this is just going to keep happening. And I think, you know, Patrick, you, and you sort of touched on the cadre issues with Boston back when he was playing for Toronto, the two years in a row where he was suspended. But I think a lot of that comes back. And I think I empathized with Leaf fans a little bit because I think both of those suspensions were a buildup of frustration, especially the second one where he went and cross-checked DeBrusque in the face was a buildup of the fact that the referees were not calling things and they were letting so much go. And then it just boils over. And yes, Nazem Kadri lost his cool those times. And yes, he absolutely should have been suspended for those plays, but you avoid that altogether if you're calling the rules. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to sort of like, I agree. I think there definitely, there's definitely inconsistencies in, in, in refing today in the NHL. Uh, in calls in general, goalie interference, offside, uh, stick infractions. I think the NHL officiating system is definitely broken. Um, I am sometimes okay, or I guess I'd say I am okay with referees being more lenient in the playoffs. Uh, the intensity between a playoff game in the regular season and in the, in the playoffs is night and day. They are so much faster. They finish literally every single check, and I'm okay with – not there being a different rule book, but letting some things slide. Um, Nick, I know you said you wanted things called a little bit more consistently across the board, whether it's preseason, regular season, playoff hockey. Uh, Luke, do you think there's sort of an unwritten rule, or not unwritten rule, but a, a different rule book in playoff hockey? Yes. Um, and are you okay with that? I'm okay with it when it comes down to the really finicky things. It's the calls that 
it's the high well okay high sticking is a bit slashing is a good one it's the well I'll, I'll use tripping it's the tripping okay. calls that the 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 player clearly didn't mean to trip the player but a trip is a trip and if that happens in the regular season yeah you get called because whether you meant it or not you trip the player if it happens in the playoffs and very blatantly the player did not mean to you know did not mean to trip slash whatever it is another player stuff like that i'm okay with being let go because it is playoffs and i'm i guess i'm kind of contradicting myself and it does mean more but i i think when it when it comes to you know kind of body on body contact or um any anything you know head injuries and not just strictly concussions but you know cross checks last night uh last night there was a gross um uh, i don't remember who it was there's a gross it was it was very similar uh to Kadri whenever that was it was a gross cross check and not called you know playoff hockey but i stuff like that i do want to see called but when it when it gets down to the really sort of things that refs call because it it's strictly a rule i'm okay with some of that getting let go obviously if it's even on both sides but other than other than that i'd like to see everything else called as it should be all right i I think yeah sorry just real quick yeah yeah we'll get to you in just one second i just want to add i i'm definitely want consistency in terms of the calls but i guess i'm sort of in the similar boat as you luke because i'm i guess i'm kind of contradicting myself but i am okay like there are games and I will, I will look to a couple of Montreal Philly games where there were a lot of late hits, hits to behind blatant cross checks uh, to the ribs that were not called, but then it's a tiny stick infraction, a slash, uh, barely a slash that, that just touches someone's glove that gets called and that's two minutes off. And I just think in that respect, you're either going to have to let a lot of stuff go or let nothing go. Um, and I guess maybe that sort of points to Nick's solution there, which was you might as well call everything because no matter what, something's going to get missed um nick you wanted to add something in that well yeah i i know you guys said you're okay with some of it to agree it, to a degree because it makes the games a bit more intense i i see that argument but i present the alternative which is we call all the infractions we're putting more teams on the power play we're getting more goals in the hockey game and i think ultimately that's what the nhl has repeatedly said they want they want more goals because more goals is more entertaining for the fans I think you're going to get that same level of intensity if we're getting a bunch of more goals every game and you get more goals by putting teams on the power play by calling infractions. So that's my solution to it. I don't need the late hits. I would prefer we see more teams on the power play and more goals, more open hockey. Cause ultimately again, it's up to what you find entertaining, but I think traditionally if we're seeing a bunch more skilled play and a lot more, high octane passing and you know really skillful dekes around the ice and great shots and all that stuff like that's those are the good parts to hockey and that's why i think we all grew up playing it so yeah i think with officiating the officials are gonna have to figure out from the get-go how they're gonna officiate the game and you definitely see changes to that where officials call everything or nothing at all so um one more thing on ryan reeves do you guys think and this is where we can get into grit and that discussion uh is ryan reeves the most overrated player in the nhl nick we'll start with you yeah probably <laughs> yeah I... um he definitely I'll, I'll give him some credit because he he was definitely better this year than he has been in other years i think it, he was pr- 
he's found a home in Vegas. Vegas definitely been the best stretch of hockey he's actually played. Whatever you consider Ryan Reeves' brand of hockey to be. Um, you know, obviously he's not going to pot 20 goals every year or anything like that, but I don't know. He is what he is. He's a fourth liner on his best day, but he's probably more closer to the replacement level player. But I know teams value what he brings to the locker room. It seems like yeah, I guess that's why he keeps getting moved around around, but I, okay. Well, apparently Pittsburgh's going to pay a first for anybody as we saw with the Kasperi Kapanen and deal. Um, but yeah, I would say he's probably the most overrated player in the NHL. He doesn't do that much on the ice that he needs to be paid like he does or that he needs to be talked about as much as he does. But overall, I I'll give him credit on one side, the entertainment value that he brings off of the ice, like his chirping and war with Evander Kane. I find that to be pretty entertaining. And as someone who you know, likes rivalry and sports and stuff like that. I enjoy that aspect of it. But in terms of what he actually brings to the ice, I would say he's pretty, pretty overrated. Luke? I don't know. I don't know if he's overrated. Um, Maybe his presence is overrated. Well, I I would say the opposite. I think, I don't, I don't think, I think everyone knows he's not, you know, really good. And yeah, I guess, I'm assuming the question you're asking is, is the hype around what his, what he does and what his role is overrated? I don't think so. I think he plays his role very well, whether you like his role or not. Um, the role that he plays, he does it really well. And, and I, and I know, and I think I'm looking at one of them right now. I know some people don't like that role uh, and that's totally fair. I, sometimes I don't, I haven't really come to a decision yet, but regardless he plays a role and he does it really well uh some teams yeah like we've said maybe are are overvaluing him a bit um but like you said he uh he's fit really well in with vegas like a lot of players have uh and and i think i think what he what he does he does it really well so i i i like him in that regard but his what he brings to the team that's up for debate that that will always be up for debate so yeah fair enough i think i'm not against role players whatsoever i'm not against gritty players um someone like nazim kadri is the kind of role player that i love watching because he's productive and he's the kind of guy who gets under your skin delivers big hits and stuff like that um reeves for example the game in bank the game against vancouver the narrative was that reeves bullied the canucks even though most of his shifts he was playing under 20 percent Corsi four. He was playing absolutely brutal hockey, but because he looked intimidating and his presence was this big, scary player that old hockey men love. That's where I would say he's a little bit overrated because people see him deliver a a late hit or a big check and and see him chirping. And I don't know who it was in Vancouver who, who hugged him and then they both got a penalty or one of them got a penalty or whatever. yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, man, he's, he's just scaring the, uh, scaring the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver dominated, uh, his line when he was on the ice. So I think that's the area where I would say players like that are overrated. Not that I'm against those players. Like I said, Nazem Kadri, perfect example of someone who is, who is gritty and a role player, but also productive. Um, but I just wanted to uh, get that out of the way. Nick, do you want everything else to say or before we move on? I could sit here and list 10 reasons. I'm sorry, Luke, that the Vancouver Canucks lost to the Vegas golden Knights. Ryan Reeves is not on that list. There's no way it, Come on. I don't know how you look at the fact that 
Vegas outshot them by like 20 plus shots in at least the last three games. I know Vancouver won two of those games, but even at like the pure Demko game seven, won two of those games. Yeah. Demko won two of those games, but even like the pure game seven domination, like it, Ryan Reeves wasn't even in that game. Right. And so I don't know how you look at a bunch of those games and say it was because Ryan Reeves um, stepped up to the plate and was intimidating the Vancouver Canucks. Like, come on, that was, it comes down to I'm going to say it came down to analytics. Like yep. it, Vegas was there eventually going to win one of those games because yep. of the puck possession, because of the shots on that. They outchance Vancouver. That's how you win a hockey game. It's not because one guy on the fourth line uh, scared the crap out of a bunch of 20 year olds. <laughs> like it, that's not, that's not what happened. All right. Let's uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of Ryan Reeves talking. That was about yeah, too much. Too much Ryan Reeves Reeves. Let's move on, but still within Vegas. Um, Robin Leonard, he went well over an hour without allowing a goal. He's a UFA this year. Fleury is signed for one more year at seven million before coming a UFA. Um, can that still be a tandem? Do they look to re-sign Robin Leonard? Do they look to move Mark Andre Fleury? Uh, can that be a tandem? Uh, Luke, we'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, like they've kind of shown these playoffs and the end of the regular season that we, I guess, didn't really get to see. Uh, yeah, it can be a tandem, and it's. I think it's a viable option to keep it as a tandem, especially with um, with the term on flurry. But uh, it's also it's it's kind of similar to what I said about Anderson in Toronto. It's also a totally viable option to to capitalize on on what they have now and 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 make a decision before <clears throat> before uh, just kind of letting it play out. I. I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have, I'm not, I don't lean hard towards Leonard or flurry. Both clearly are phenomenal goalies. Uh, you might have uh, personally, I'd maybe say there's a little more trust in uh, a guy like flurry, but I don't really think you can go wrong with this decision. The only thing is maybe a timeline of, of when you have, um, if, if you keep a, a tandem when you have that tandem versus when you don't and what you do with that, with that space. Nick. Well, if you ask Alan Walsh, Fleury's agent, uh, it definitely can't be a tandem because that's just apparently a big sword in the back. Um, look, I know there's a lot of trust in Fleury and I, I suppose he's earned that to a degree. He's had a good career, three Stanley cup. He's been part of three Stanley cup winning teams. Mark Andre Fleury's, he is what he is. You know what you're going to get at this age, but I, I would consider him pretty washed at this point in his career. There was a reason the Vegas Golden Knights went out and acquired Robin Leonard. Let's not beat around the bush here. They didn't just do it so he could back up Marc-Andre Fleury. They saw a need. They knew they were not going to win a Stanley Cup this year unless they got some sort of an upgrade in net to try and at least, whether it's push Fleury or take over the reins completely, which I think Robin Leonard has, and rightfully so because he's been outstanding since he moved there. I know there were some rumors I think I saw last night that they've discussed at least some sort of a long-term extension uh, in the $5 million a year area which is really good value for Robin Leonard really good value for um, a goaltender that was a Vezina nominee last year and he's been outstanding the past two years and one of the best stories in the NHL but you know I don't think it works with Fleury there but I also can't see how they can move Fleury because that's a massive contract seven million is a lot but maybe somebody takes a punt on him for one year I don't know but I can't see them working together past this year. 
Yeah, I think they can definitely make a move to re-sign uh, Robin Leonard. What what happens with Marc-Andre Fleury? I think we'll see throughout the playoffs. If Leonard struggles and they put Fleury back in, uh, Fleury has shown before that in little spurts with the playoffs, he can be clutch. But again, goalies are super inconsistent. Uh, I want to move on from the goalie talk. I feel like we talk a lot about goalies and talk about Vegas. And they've only been in the year for in the league for three years. They have 16 playoff wins and have made the playoffs every single year since entering the league. Um, I remember when they went to the cup final in their first year, it sparked a lot of debate uh, as to whether or not this was a good look for the National Hockey League or a bad look. Uh, parody is unbelievably prevalent in hockey. Uh, we see it every year with broken brackets. Um, but Vegas being this good so quickly. Luke, we'll start with you. Do you think it's a bad look for the NHL or do you think it's a good look? I don't think it's a bad look. Um, I think it's something the NHL will try to avoid uh, moving forward because I, I just think that's not what you want. I don't think you want expansion teams to struggle for the first decade after they after they get off get off the ground. But uh, I also don't think you'd want them to go to the cup final in their first year. Um, that being said, like this is, this is the first expansion or that was the first expansion in, in quite a while. And it, yeah, in retrospect, it, it could have been handled better. And it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of ended in, uh, in a bit of an unexpected way, but I don't, I don't think it's a bad look for the NHL. Uh, I just think the NHL, like I said, from their perspective, they're going to want to, they're going to want, they're going to see that and they're going to say, okay, let's, let's maybe rejig some of uh, some of the ways that this will work, you know, with Seattle. Uh, But no, I, like, I don't, at least I haven't heard that. I don't think anyone's really gone in on the NHL for letting that happen. Um, And on top of that, I think, I think there has been some, some smart management uh, in Las Vegas. So I, I think it's been a few things, but uh, no, to answer your question, no, I, th- I think it's, it's a, it's an okay thing that happened. I don't think anyone should be too upset. Nick. I don't think it's a bad look at all. I think in every respect, the NHL has hit a grand slam with this expansion. I know a lot of people like myself included were really skeptical when they chose Vegas as the expansion city and team, but Gary Bettman, this is arguably the best thing he has done as NHL commissioner. It has to be. That market is bumping right now. That building and their fan base has become one of the best in the NHL over the past three years. That's packed every night. It's loud. They're selling out practically every game. It's been a great look for the NHL from a business perspective. It The expansion fee paid has put money in the pockets of their owners, which keeps them happy, which keeps the league financially healthy, which again, that's good for Gary Bettman. And at the end of the day, more playoff revenue from Vegas in that city. They are growing a hockey market in Nevada, which is great for them, which I think is great for the growth of hockey in general in that state. So I can't see any way really in which this is a bad look. I know some people... Um, point towards okay well they haven't had to ever work for really the success that they've got they were essentially handed all these players by other GMs and a series of bad trades but I think I don't think that's a reflection on how the NHL set up the expansion draft I think it's more so just a reflection of how so many GMs just gifted them this talent Minnesota handed them Alex Tuck to protect some players Florida handed them 
Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith so that they wouldn't take Alex Petrovic, who is now pretty much out of the league. And those two have gone on to become staples of that team. Ottawa gave them Mark Stone on a pretty cheap trade last year, and he's become such a big part. I know they've paid a lot for guys like Pacioretty and stuff like that. But again, that's just the wealth they've accumulated from these other teams. So at the end of the day, I think it's it's all good on the NHL's perspective because this is what they want. That's why they set up expansion franchises to grow the game in other markets. And they've done that. And whether or not Seattle is going to be this successful right off the bat, like I think it's pretty unlikely because Vegas been decently well run from the onset. So it's going to be challenging for Seattle to sort of replicate that. But if they can get any sort of success like this, I think it's a big, big success for the NHL and it's a really good look for them. Yeah. I think uh, this is what you said earlier, Nick, Gary Bettman did this. I think Gary Bettman, first of all, I think he deserves some credit as a commissioner. I know people don't like him, but I think people are starting to hate him more as a meme and he is starting to take the hate in a positive way. I remember at the draft, couple years ago when there was a trade to announce they started booing and they stopped instantly and he was making a joke saying oh now you guys stop booing for at least a couple minutes and then go back to it I think he I think he's a pretty good commissioner for the most part and I think people would rather an expansion team be good off the bat what if Vegas was not good off the bat they weren't selling out that'd be a terrible look for the NHL people want them to be exciting and now like you said Vegas has sort of done has sort of gone out of the hockey mainstream by doing exciting intros we saw like the Knights uh, battle at the at the center ice that's now a top five arena for fans to go to I think it's a wonderful thing I think it goes to show how random uh, hockey is and how the parody is real and like you said earlier Nick I'm just sort of repeating and agreeing with what you said it's more a sad reflection on how GM's undervalued skill players I know we pick poke a lot of fun at Florida but Anaheim definitely deserves some uh, heat for letting Shea Theodore go. Shea Theodore is another one proving to be a top 10 defenseman in the league. Honestly, um, we want to move on to Dallas, but Luke, do you have anything else to add before we uh, move on to that? No, we covered All it. All right. Let's talk about Dallas. Let's talk about Vegas's opponent. Um, what changed in Dallas? What seemed to be such a top heavy team? Uh, what seemed to be a team that had so many skilled players that could never get it done in the playoffs? Uh, Luke, what do you think changed for them and why are they, why are they finding success? I don't know. Uh, I, when we were, when I did my bracket challenge and I think maybe even, uh, on here, I picked Calgary so did uh, I. over them. The only reason I did that, I wouldn't necessarily say Calgary is a better team. I just did that because of, uh, there are some questionable injuries at the time that have since turned out to really not have any effect, um, so, so that, that's, that's the only reason I made that decision. But other than that, I, like, I, I don't really know if you can point at any specific, um, any specific like flip, flick, flip of a switch here. I, D- Dallas has always kind of, at least from my perspective, have, has always kind of been this team. Um, and for some reason, uh when it when it comes to when it comes to these these important games they seem to they seem to get there but they can never really make any actual impact and this year they are so good on them i that that colorado series was was so fun like just from an objective standpoint that was such a fun series to watch and i i just think i think dallas is rolling right now and they're they're still rolling and 
uh, last round, I said whoever comes out of the Vancouver Vegas series would win the cup. Yep. I'm not sure if I still stand by that. I I don't. Well, like I don't. I don't want to. Too close look, to tell. I don't want to look down on Tampa, but both teams in the West just look so good. Yeah, I mean, I think with Dallas, the biggest thing obviously secondary scoring. I don't think anyone ever would have predicted Kerberanta to get a hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of a Didn't sudden, know who he was. Yeah, no, neither did I. No idea. Um, Nick, we'll go to you. What uh, what changed in Dallas? I don't know that anything actually really changed. I think we all sort of forget that this Dallas Stars team took the St. Louis Blues to overtime of a game seven in the second round last year. And the Blues went on to win the Stanley Cup. That could have just as easily been the Dallas Stars last year. Um, what was the save that Bennington made on Jamie Benn in the overtime when he did the wraparound? The puck was like that close to going in the net. That happens. Who knows? They could have won the Stanley Cup last year. I had a lot of concern for Dallas when Jim Montgomery resigned because they seem to be headed in a decent direction under him. And Rick bonus has sort of restricted their offense a little bit more. If you take a little dive into their underlyings, they become a bit more defensively sound, but a lot of their scoring sort of went out the window or a chance creation. At least I think, I don't think anything's really changed with that but I think they're just shooting the puck a lot better. Their shooting percentage is much higher in these playoffs. They've suddenly become a team that can score uh, four plus goals a night when they weren't that in the regular season, when their whole uh, philosophy was we got to defend first. We know they're a solid defensive team. They've got two absolute studs in Klingberg and Heiskanen on the back line and Hudobin has been really solid um, in place of Ben Bishop in this playoffs. I think that can't be overlooked because obviously you need good goaltending to succeed. I just think that they've gotten hot at the right time for me. I don't think they're as good as Vegas and I stand by that, but again, they remind me they're a better version, much better version of the Ottawa senators in 2016, 17, a team that really just got hot at the correct time and was all of a sudden having a lot more ease, putting the puck in the net. Um, so if that can continue, I can totally see them winning the series and, you know, even winning the Stanley Cup this year. But it, I don't think they're that good. They're not one of the best five teams in the NHL, in my opinion, but they're hot at the right time, which obviously pays off when you're in the playoffs. One more thing on Dallas, and that is Nick's Norris pick, uh, which is starting <laughs> to look less like less bad of a take, if I'm being completely honest, Merrill Heiskanen, 21 points in 18 uh, games. Uh, unbelievable. Luke, is he? Okay, we'll go with Nick. Uh, he is, I'm going to say he's better than both McCarr and Hughes. What do you guys think? Luke, Nick, we'll start with you. I mean, again, I think that's just a bit of an overreaction to how good of a playoffs he's having. Nothing to take away from Miro Heiskanen because I said at the beginning of the season that he was going to win the Horace, and that was... Oh boy, that was well off, but I think I just got the timing wrong because it looks like he might win the con Smythe at this rate. He has been excellent for Dallas. I don't know that he's better than either of those two. They all obviously have their different strengths. I think Haskinen's maybe a bit more, well, a lot more defensively sound than the other two. And I think now he's starting to show that he does have the offensive tool set to uh, compete with the other two, maybe not to the same degree as Quinn Hughes and less than, kill McCarr, but I think all around as a defenseman, 
Miro Heiskanen's a bit better, but again, he's got one more full year of experience than the other two. So I guess we'll see. It's going to be a better question to ask. And I think two to three years, and I think we'll be able to judge it better. But right now I'd say probably Heiskanen's better. Luke. Yeah, I, I think with, with them being this young, I think I think that extra year of experience is pretty important. I mean, if you're talking about a 32-year-old and a 33-year-old, eh, not really. You can, you can compare them pretty fairly. But right now, um, you know, like Hughes and Makar are up for the Calder. It's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a, of a tough comparison to make. Obviously, Heiskanen's really good. I wouldn't say he's as exciting as the other two. Maybe that's just because they're rookies. Um, and I would probably agree with Nick uh, in in the sense that he's he's a bit more rounded out as a player and especially yeah. as a defenseman. Um, that might just be because uh, he's been around a bit longer. But is he better? Maybe. It depends on how you look at it. Is yep. he going five years from now? Who's going to be the best of the three? I doubt it would yep. be Heiskanen, but is yep. he better now? Uh, like, yeah, you could argue that. It, it's uh, he. I think he had fewer hiccups coming. Well, definitely of the three, n- neither of them struggled that much defensively. I think the overreaction for Quinn Hughes' struggles defensively go to show like it's it's usually from the fact that he's so powerful offensively that's the common misperception with offensive defensemen is because they're on the rush they must be bad defensively obviously Heiskanen is better defensively than both of them but I think to look at the three of them they didn't really have that many hiccups at least in my view um defensively but it is exciting how two defensemen are for the Calder and the next generation of defensemen throw in uh, Rasmus Dahlin in there it's going to be so exciting I know we're all excited for that Thomas Shabbat um yeah. So let's uh, let's go to the next series. Tampa Bay, New York. Tampa won last night, and Nikita Kucherov scored uh, the game winner with about like eight seconds left. Uh, Tampa leads two nothing. Um, Nick and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Luke, do you think people sort of undermined the Tampa Bay Lightning this year? No, um, I think anyone that was that was having trouble trusting them or just in general doubting them that's a pretty fair opinion to have after watching them uh, the past few years. I think everyone knows Tampa is one of, if not the best team in the league. Um, but, but, but to have some issues in saying that they're going to win the Stanley cup, like I, I would have questioned that just because of what they've done, but clearly they've, they've, uh, well, you'd, you'd hope they figured it out now. It kind of looks like they have. Uh, so no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone really undermined them un, unfairly. Like it's the Tampa Bay lightning. Look at, look at, look at what they've done. Look at who they have. I, I think it's a, it's a pretty fair assumption to, to, to have to, to place them where they are. Nick. Um, I know we touched on it a couple of weeks ago, like with the, how people sort of maybe undervalued the Tampa Bay lightning, but again, I, I think Luke said it's maybe sort of fair to a common fan to assume that just based on how they've performed in the playoffs the past couple of years. But I think they're this year in the playoffs, they've definitely shown their might and what they're capable of. And this is what they should have been doing last year, quite frankly. But again, they added pieces at the deadline. They have kept that core together for a long time and they're so, so hungry to win. You can tell when you watch them play and, 
I, I, I would like to take a second to recognize Braden Point. My God, has he been good in these playoffs and has really solidified himself as, well, besides Kucherov, the go-to player on that Tampa Bay team. Um, so I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting series. I think obviously game one was just like, you know, I don't think you can put too much stock into a game like that because it just lost control sort of in towards the end. And uh, New York really never looked on, but it'll be more interesting as the series goes on. But I think if Tampa Bay is able to grab a three, nothing lead, there's no coming back for New York. Yep. I think you sort of touched on it. Braden point. Um, would you guys say he's a top 10 or top 15 player in the league? Luke, we'll start with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like, it's just, I, I, I don't really know why he's questioned like a few late years because he was sort of later on in the draft, I guess, but like, he's, he's kind of been doing this, something like this for a few years now. Um, and, and there's always seems to be this discussion like, Oh, is Braden point this good? And I think, yeah, yeah. he is this yeah. good. He's, he's playing with, with, with um, some of the best players in the league that might have something to do with it. And, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman, well, Stamkos, I don't know, and Hedman. Um, but yeah, like I, I think he is top, top. I'd say 15. top 15 before I'd say top 10. Yeah. I haven't, I'll be honest. I didn't I'd have a to lot. sit down and think about yeah. it, but same here, Nick. Uh, I would say he's definitely in my top 10 centers, probably pushing top five centers at this point, but I top 15 players in the national hockey league. I still think is a bit of a stretch. Like there's a lot of really good hockey players right now. It's, and it's so hard to compare them when they all play different positions. And I know it's easier to dump a lot more stock into uh, what centermen do because they are probably, it's probably the most important position in hockey, I would still say. So it's hard when you're comparing centers to wingers, to defensemen, to goalies. So where you'd actually rank that. But I, I still think it's a bit premature to rank him the top, top 10 to 15, especially because he's got um, two teammates in Kucherov and Hedman that are in, definitely in that conversation and are worthy of being in that conversation themselves. But there's a lot of good players in the National Hockey League, and I'm not trying to take anything oh, away from Braden Point at all. I think he is an elite, elite centerman, one mm-hmm. of the very best in the game. He's going to be so good for so many years, but I still think it's a bit premature to say top 10 to 15. And those are both perfectly fine answers. I wrote here on my rundown uh, how much, but this was before they went up uh, to nothing, uh, Tampa. I wrote, does, or how much of New York's success is on Barry Trotz or Lou? Now they're down. Um, I would say about 95% of it, at least 90%. I'll say 90 because I think Lou Lamorello does deserve, does deserve some credit. How much of their success is on Barry Trotz or Lou Lamorello? Luke, we will start with you. Like obviously a lot. Um, I I don't I don't think you can. Well, yeah, I know I don't think you can question Trots quite yet. Uh, a lot of people are questioning Lamorello, and well, they have maybe that's just because we're in Toronto and that's what we hear. But like Barry Trots is is Barry Trots. I the 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 style that you see that we've been seeing the Islanders play, I think is pretty reflective of, of the coach they have behind them. And he's a fantastic coach at that. So yeah, the Islanders, they might not be, 
the most exciting team to watch, but they're in the conference finals. They, yeah, I'd like to say they're no, yeah, they're putting up like last night, last night's game. That was a good game. Um, it, it kind of reminded me of, well, in a way of Vancouver and Vegas's game seven, the Islanders had all the, they had the, the, the misconduct. They had the, the five minute um, power play. Then they had a five on three. Like they had all these chances. They couldn't capitalize. It just looked like it was Tampa all game long. You could, you could just kind of tell, even though it was the numbers had it pretty even, you could just kind of tell, okay, Tampa's probably going to win this game, at least from my perspective. Um, but back to your question, I think, yeah, a lot, a lot goes to trots and, I think a lot to Lamorello as well. Maybe not not as much, um, but like he he had a even just in the past few months since the new year, he's he's done pretty well. Uh, I really like what he did with Pajot. That that was smart. I mean, it, it might have kind of been a no brainer, but no, I I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. Uh, Nick, we'll go to you real quick. Yeah, I would say that uh, the Islanders are a better version of Dallas, as in they are very, very well coached, and Barry Trotz deserves so much credit for what he's done there, and he's a, I would say, 90% of the reason that they are in the position that they're in. They do have some good talent in Beauvillier, Barzal, and their goaltending's been extraordinary this year, but I would still say that the only reason they've gotten this far into the playoffs is because like Dallas, they've really gotten hot at the right time before this series. They were the highest scoring team, in the Eastern conference playoffs. And that's it. They're a traditionally pretty weak offense because outside of just a couple of guys, they don't have many game breaking scores. So I would say they're really hot right now. And it's a good time for them to be hot, especially that offense. Their defense probably could have won them. Uh, That series with Florida maybe could have pushed them past the first round as well, like it did last year when they were swept by Carolina in the second round because they didn't have that offense that could compete with the Hurricanes. This year, I think they've gotten to this point because their offense has been able to score those key goals. But, you know, I, I would still say a lot of it is good fortune for the Islanders, which is, you know, it's, it's something that we see in the playoffs every year. A lot of fortunate teams get to this point. So. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I know you and I watched the Islanders game a couple of days ago and half the time we're like, who are these players? They're such a weirdly built team. Um, someone like Casey Sezikis is underrated. And then you have players who are a little bit overrated. Someone like Jordan Eberle, who is fine, but still probably a, a solid second liner. It's, it's a, it's a weird roster construction. And, um, the I oldest think, roster in the league. Yeah, and and it's weird because I wouldn't I wouldn't guess that if I were to off the top of my head. Um, I know there's a lot of questions with the Islanders going into the off season. Uh, Matt Barzell seems to be a target that I've seen a lot of people think is could get offer sheeted. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this series go. I do I do think that the Islanders will win at least one game. Although Tampa is definitely on a mission right now. Um, let's move on from that. We were going to touch on the Kalorn hit. I actually have not seen the Kalorn hit. So I'll let uh, you guys sort of take. I a haven't seen the Clorn head either. Oh, <laughs> awkward. I have seen the Clorn head. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I guess I'll talk about the Clorn head. <laughs> I, it wasn't nearly as bad as the Reeves hit. Um, it was just, it was boarding. It was from, from behind sort of, but uh, it, it was a, it was an unnecessary hit. Um, Kevin BX and Anthony Stewart had an interesting discussion about it on the panel. Um 
last night where it's uh it's maybe a it's pretty good evidence how how hockey is changing and uh how how incidents like that on the ice have kind of transitioned from when they played 10 ish years ago um but bxa was saying you know he he thought that's a fine hit if you you kind of go and maybe give them a bit of a warning that you're coming uh and then make your hit but i i don't think that was the case last night um the thing is what i'm kind of and it kind of comes back to what we talked about with reeves if the reeves hit was one game this hit shouldn't be anything it should be a fine but then it gets back into the precedent. Do you really want to not suspend? It is a. I think it's a suspendable hit. I ju- I just um, watched it. Uh, they, that seemed pretty late, and it seemed like uh, was it was it Lee that was hit? Uh, I think it was Nelson. Uh, Nelson, sorry, Nelson. It seemed like he sort of did have his back turned, but like you said, right? It's the precedent that they've set now. Yeah. If so the Reeves hit is one game. Yeah. This I don't is know what, what they're going to do. Five thousand dollar fine. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it'll be interesting. I think the hearings today, I guess it has to be today. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting what they do because it's kind of, it's kind of funny, like just a few days after they, they give Reeves one game. Now they have to make a decision on this. And if they give it one game, that's a, that's a pretty big range for a one game suspension. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying it now. I definitely don't think suspend. I think it's suspension worthy in any other situation, but people are always going to draw comparisons to the Ryan Reeves hit. So I'm definitely thinking fine. Let's move on from that. Let's move on from some of the series and talk about our teams as uh, none of them are in the playoffs right now. Um, I want to start with Montreal real quick. I'm not sure if you guys saw a couple weeks ago, Philip Deneau made a comment um, regarding his role. Obviously Philip Deneau was Montreal's first line center uh, throughout the year. He did pretty well. Um, He's sort of a weird player in the sense that I think on an average team, he would be a fine 2C, but at the end of the day, probably a really, really, really strong 3C. Um, with the emergence of Suzuki and Kotkaniemi, he went down to the third line, and in an interview, he said, I saw my role in Montreal change, and my role in Montreal should not change. Um, I don't think you say that as a player, and I think it sort of sounds salty and Claude Julian came out and said, we don't want any, um, we don't want any of our veterans feeling threatened by younger players. So there's definitely a lot of chatter from what I've seen and rumors about who Montreal should move. The same thing happened with Max Domi as he was playing on the fourth line for almost every single game. I think he played one game in the top six or at least one shift in the top six. Um, the speculation is that those two will get moved. Uh, Thomas Attar, another one, they have a lot of wingers and they're sort of, I guess you could say it's a good problem. If you're Montreal, should they move on from Domi, Deneau, and or Tatar for defensive help or a right winger? What do you think? And I will start with you, Nick. Um, I know we've labeled this playoffs as the emergence or the coming out party for Suzuki and Kotkaniemi. I'm still... Apparently. I'm still very hesitant on it. I think they're both decent players right now. I think Suzuki more so than Kakaniemi right now. I think they're both going to be good NHL players in a couple of years. I it, Again, it all comes down to what does Montreal want to be this year. And we talked about it with Price earlier in the show. It's I And Patrick, I know you'll agree in it. It's probably frustrating to you. It's what, what do the Montreal Canadiens want to be? Because right now on paper, it's the most tweener team 
in the NHL right now, right? They can, I could totally foresee the situation where they trade all the veterans and they want to tank next year. Although this probably would have been the year to tank and strip everything down, but they refused to, which is fine. Seeing as how they eventually got into the first round of the playoffs. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. But I could also see the situation where they want to hold on to these guys and probably make, try and make the playoffs again next year, whether you think they're good enough for that again, up for debate. How I see it still is that, you know, Jesperi Kokaniemi was horrendous this year in his 35 or so games that he played at the NHL level. He was not good at all. Uh, Nick Suzuki was a lot better and I think probably could have filled the role. It was like a good third liner this year. I would label him as that. I wouldn't label him as a top six forward this year, maybe a lower end second line player uh, this year, but I think it's really premature if you are to stick those two as the one-two centermen, despite how good they were in the playoffs, it's a lot different of an ask to request them to do that over an 82 game series where they don't have a Domi or a uh, Dano to step in and maybe take some of the pressure off of them when it gets tough, because it will get tough for two younger players like, like that. And if I was a Montreal fan, I would hate to see a situation where they move on from Dano because you know, you know what you have in Philip Dano. Like you said, Patty's a pretty weird player, but he is what he is. He's a very, very defensively sound player, probably one of the best defensive forwards in the national hockey league. I think I'm sure you can attest to this Montreal probably every day since they traded Lars Eller has probably regretted it, right? It's one of yes. the worst moves Mark Bergevin has ever made. And I think that Philip Deneau is probably in that boat in the same way as I could totally foresee the situation where they are going to trade Deneau now, probably for less than he's worth. Cause I doubt you're going to get that kind of value back for him that he actually brings onto the ice because he isn't a big point scorer. You're not going to get that same value. And then we're going to see Philip Deneau succeed elsewhere. And Montreal is going to turn around and regret it just as they have with Eller. Again, this would all be erased if Suzuki and Kakanyemi jumped into the top six next year and were both productive players. But that, at this point, I would say is a very, very, very long shot. Wow. Luke, you have the floor. I have a lot to say to both of you. So follow that up here. Uh, (laughs) I would like to know when the decision was made that um, Suzuki and Kakanyemi's recent postseason has established them as the one-two punch in Montreal. I would kind of question that a bit, uh, similar to what Nick said. Um, like, yeah, the, th- the three guys you mentioned, it, it probably makes sense to move. Um, I, I, wouldn't move probably. I wouldn't move all three, like I, for sure. Uh, I, I, think, I think, yeah, a player like Tatar in the situation he's in, that's expendable. Um, and, and, uh, and I do, and uh, yeah, I'm going to kind of reiterate what Nick said. I do think Kakaniemi and Suzuki are going to get maybe not, maybe not there, maybe not to that one, two punch. They're going to get somewhere. They're not there yet, wherever they're going, they're going to get somewhere, but I, I really <laughs> don't think it's going to be anchoring your first and second line. I think Suzuki has, has that kind of potential. I, and I'm not just saying this, Patrick, I do not That's think, okay. I do not think Kotkaniemi will get there. Uh, he's a he's a good young player. 
But I'm not see spicy. <laughs> Can I, I not... just say one more thing before yeah, you go, ahead, go, go off ahead, that? Go ahead. I know. Go ahead. I, w- I would almost count, and I know this is a bit extreme what I'm going to say. I-, I would almost say a lot of this is pretty disrespectful to Max Domi and Philip Deneau. Uh, some of the reaction from some of the Montreal fans. I know they were both really off in the postseason. And Kakaniemi and Suzuki were the reasons they got into the first round. But I, I would say it- I would... I, I empathize with Deno because I feel like if he all of a sudden is being uh, pushed further down the lineup on the sample size of 10 playoff games, I, I would say that's pretty disrespectful to the hard work that he's put in over the past two, three years with Montreal, climbing from a guy who couldn't crack the Chicago Blackhawks fourth line to a really solid centerman with the Montreal Canadiens. I, I feel for him. Domi, I feel less for because Domi's been on and off his whole career, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure he'll be fine. He's still young, but I don't know. I, I, I would, I could see why Dano and Domi could interpret this as being disrespected because it is such a small sample size that they're being judged on. Okay. A lot to unpack there. My question was more about which of Domi, Tatar, because you have (laughs) Drouin there as well. Which of those wingers are you going to move because you can't run the first start of the season? You guys don't have to make fun of my favorite players. Anyway, (laughs) um, so that was more what the question was about because they're going to have to move on from one of those guys. Domi, I think if he asks anything north of $6 million, you have to move him maybe in a sign and trade. He's an RFA, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so it makes complete sense to move Domi. Yes. Like they, I, I think more my so grievances with Dano. Yeah. So hey, let me just unpack this. Cause I think Domi, I think he's going to ask a lot. Elliot Friedman said today that Dano is not happy playing three C and that his, uh, his asking price on his new contract is too high Tatar is a winger. I would have sold the deadline this year. Obviously he was another player who had a dreadful postseason. As far as uh, Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi, I don't think it was a situation where they were just given the opportunity of 1C, 2C, and Dano and uh, Domi were not. Domi was dreadful in the postseason. Dano looked terrible at camp, and it just it was a situation where these two young players beat them out. No, is their play sustainable over an 82-game season? Definitely not. I don't think Kotkaniemi will be that impactful next year in an 82 game season. I don't think Suzuki will be that impactful throughout an entire season. I don't mean as soon as next year, they are the one, two, but I do think at a certain point, like you said, Nick, they are a tweener team and you're going to eventually have to make a decision about what these players are. I would much rather see maybe not next year, but maybe the year after them finally make a decision of having the two younger players as a one, a one B. I don't think either of them will be an elite 1C, but I do think sort of having a 1A, 1B situation with these two is better than playing Deneau out of his element on the first line. That's sort of my take. Um, I do think they have a bit too many wingers, especially on the left side, Domi, Drouet, uh, Tatar. You have someone like Ryan Paling who's expected to be a 3C. So um, that's sort of how I see it. I don't think that Suzuki and Kakadim are going to be a 1-2 one, one, punch right, right off the bat next year, but I do think in the future – that's the trajectory that Montreal is looking at. Nick, do you want to add? Yeah, yeah, no, a lot of what you say makes sense. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I agree with trading Dano if uh, next year they're going to tank and try and draft high and add to this uh, young core group because that would make a lot of sense to me if they're going to do it for that scenario. Um, 
I, I, I think more so my point was if Montreal fans want to hand the keys to Kotkaniemi and Suzuki as early as next year, I think the expectations should be automatically like lowered to as low as they can get because, you know, you just don't know with those two because they're, they're still an unknown commodity to a degree at this stage in their careers. So if Montreal's goal is to tank and uh, finally get another high draft pick to add to this group, I think then you explore trading someone like to know, because that would make sense. That would make them worse. I think you can agree with that. Yep. I, um, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think the more, I think Kakaniemi is more of an unknown commodity than Nick Suzuki. I think Nick Suzuki at this point, look, Kakaniemi was more of a presence than he was a sort of driving offensive force. Nick Suzuki finished the postseason um, team lead in points. He basically carried them in their final two games uh, against Philly when the offense right, but he, was he essentially... could just as easily take that second year step back sort of yes. like i think we would agree kakaniemi yes. did a thousand percent and, and i would look at kakaniemi's injuries as he had quite a few mm-hmm. uh spleen the the concussion from the zadorov hit i think there's definitely a situation look at nathan mckinnon having a sophomore slump it's definitely a possibility and i don't think right away next year montreal's uh sort of the hole that plagued them for about two decades now of not having a center. I don't think that that is fixed right away next year, but I think in two to three years time, those two players are going to be the guys to finally put Montreal, not over the edge, but definitely sort of towards where they want to be towards where they want to be. And I, I think expecting Dano or putting Domi at center uh, to, and, and those two guys to be the one to see over uh, two players like Nick Suzuki, Nisperi Kakami in two years' time is pretty silly. Uh, Luke, do you have anything to add, or can we move on from you guys making fun of my favorite players? You can move on. I probably shouldn't <laughs> get into it. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk about Ottawa. Um, I know we talked about Matt Murray earlier, but there are rumors that Ottawa could take on someone like Matt Murray. Nick, we'll start with you. You're the Sens fan. Should they do it? What gave it away? <laughs> No, um, I could see a scenario where they would target Matt Murray. I think that makes a lot of sense. Ottawa's got a lot of picks this year. They've got seven in the first two rounds, which is insane. They've got a lot of prospects in their system right now that are suddenly going to be pushed down the pipeline by, uh, well, after the draft, once uh, more of these quality players come in. Because I think this year, we're really going to get a sense of where the Senators are headed as an organization. And we're going to have a much clearer idea because right now it's still everything's so unknown. The one thing, though, I think they'll be able to add um, that high profile scoring uh, centerman and winger early on in the draft. And they'll be able to fill out the rest of their uh, skaters toward it like throughout the first and second round what i still don't see in their pipeline is the obvious hair to the uh crease that craig anderson has held for 10 years and obviously craig anderson is so well respected in ottawa and he's done everything for them for 10 years been everything they could have ever wanted in a starting goaltender but i they've got Anders Nilsson and Marcus Hoberg uh, under one-way contracts, and that's supposed to be the tandem next year. But I don't think either of those guys, especially Nilsson, are a long-term solution. They've got prospects in the pipeline in Joey Dacord, Kevin Mandelese, Philip Gustafson was a high-profile 
prospect when he was with Pittsburgh. And they've also got Joey Decord, who was their starter in Belleville last year. But I don't know. It's, I don't see that obvious number one goaltender anywhere. So I think, you know, we've touched on it between Matt Murray and uh, there's going to be a lot of goalies on the market this year. I think if the senators want to add a goalie, I think this is the year to do it, whether that's with a younger player like Matt Murray or they want to chase somebody uh, in a UFA scenario. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on uh, goaltending there in that respect. I do not, Luke. <laughs> um, I think I think it just it would just be smart for Ottawa to kind of obviously to look ahead a few years and kind of see what um, the next you know two to five years of their goaltending situation is going to look like and make a decision now while they can. Um, I think they're in a very low risk situation. I think this season like the last two seasons still, you know, take some chances. Um, Anders Nielsen's a really good goalie. Mm-hmm. I, I like him. Yeah. I think, good. I think he has, he has a lot of potential. Uh, maybe you don't have to go out and, and, and acquire a Matt Murray, maybe, um, maybe give, give Nielsen a few more starts this year, but regardless, whatever they do, I think they are in a position where they need to, um, where they need to start prepping, prepping whoever's gonna whoever's gonna succeed craig anderson right because you know um we can get into this more on a maybe tomorrow or a future show but i i think it's premature to expect the senators to be any good or that much better next year i think they will be better next season whenever that is played i think that's pretty obvious they are heading in the right direction it seems like they took a big step this year but i think it's the year after and two years from now where we should pr- at least try to have some expectation. Any NHL fan should have some expectation that they're going to be better because they will be five years into the process at that point. And they will have the draft plus one years of two top five picks, another first round pick. And hopefully by then a lot of graduates from their really good uh, AHL affiliate in Belleville. So I think when, you have an opportunity this year with so many goalies on the market to add and think about, like you said, Luke, that two to five year range. I think it's, it's smart prepping and they have the cap space and they have the picks and prospects to load up if they want to. So it's a big summer for Ottawa. I'm sure we're going to talk about it so much more as we head into the off season with all these shows that we're going to have before then. So it's a, it's a big summer and who knows what's going on in Ottawa. There's, there's so much up in the air. I think in Ottawa's case, like you said, being bad or at least they'll be better next year, but not being that much better works to their favor as I'm sure they want to secure another top draft pick. Having two mm-hmm. in the top five is huge. I know, Nick, we talked about this a couple of days ago about who they could potentially get um, with Byfield, with Raymond. So um, that'll be exciting, exciting time to be a Sense fan. <laughs> we also have in here Mark, uh, I can't say his name, Bor- Borowiecki. Borowiecki. Okay. Uh and it was put in here, another example of poor leadership and action from Senator's management. Nick, I'm just going to let you sort of take this one here and talk a little bit about this because I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm sure this is an issue you guys aren't too familiar with, but yeah. you, you know some of it. Everybody knows about the infamous video with him and Eugene Melnick uh, a couple of seasons ago, the two ferns video and how horrific that whole incident was. Uh, Mark Borowiecki has been with the Senators his entire career and obviously evidence with that video with Melvin Clay, he's done a lot of heavy lifting. He's been here during the hard times. He's been here for every poor season. He's been here even for the Stanley cup 
Eastern Conference final run a couple of years ago. He's very much been with the highs and lows of this team throughout his career in Ottawa. Um, Pierre Dorian actually came out at one point earlier this year and he said, uh, he proclaimed that he wanted to make sure Mark Borowiecki was a senator for life because he is a pending UFA and will be on tentatively October 9th. Uh, Haley Salvian of The Athletic came out today and actually said that it appears, uh, after talking to his agent, it appears that Mark Borowiecki is going to be headed to the open market this year. Uh, Mark Borowiecki obviously has had a lot of critics during his time in Ottawa, myself, one of them. I've never been that much of a fan of his on-ice play. I just don't think he brings what I look for in a defenseman. He doesn't move the puck very well. He's caught in his own zone way too much. Uh, he's a good, he's good at hitting guys, which I know uh, some people find value in. I just, you know, he doesn't do anything for me, but I think it's more so his off ice um, what he does off the ice that has earned him a lot of fans. He's uh, was the only Senators player to go to the uh, Ottawa pride parade this year. Um, he is the honorary captain of the capital city condors, which is a um, charity group in Ottawa that uh, helps uh, disabled youth play hockey. Uh, he's done a great job in that. And he's been one of the more outspoken Senators players on the black lives matter movement and voice his support for teammate Anthony Duclair and the Hockey Diversity Alliance. So he's checking all the boxes that you'd like to see for him off of the ice, which I think has made a lot of people more so want to re-sign him. I'm still on the fence with it because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care that they're not getting, that they're losing him on the ice, but I do think he is a good voice to have for the team, a good representative of Ottawa and the Senators. But I don't know if you guys have thoughts on this. It's, I, it, it does seem wrong that, again, Pierre Dorian has come out and he's proclaimed that he wants to make Mark Borowiecki a senator for life, and they've put him in so many awkward positions, yet when the time has finally come now for Ottawa to try and negotiate a contract and find a way to keep him here, they failed to do it. There was some sort of hinting towards maybe he just wants to test the open market because this is likely the final time in his career that he'll have that option but I, I don't know if you guys want to talk on this it it seems really bad on the surface it seems like yet another bad look for the senators I mean the amount of times we've had a show where we've said I didn't think the senators could do something d like dumber than that and then they've done it um, seems to be a recurring theme for this show um, I think with regards to free agency I think GMs I know Mark Bergevay does an excellent job at he doesn't spill anything. The insiders never have a clue what he's doing. He says, I don't talk about contracts. I don't talk about uh, trades. I don't talk about any of that stuff. He leaves it uh, very dry with the media. I think you can have a player who you want to stay on your team for a long time. I don't think you have to vocalize that because you never know what can change. You never say we're not trading this person and you never say we never want to trade this person. I think you leave it very, very um, up in the air as far as media interpretation goes. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a little silly. Nick, do you have any, or Luke, do you have anything to add before we move on? Not really. I, I do. I really like um, the kind, like not, not, not him specifically, but the kind of player Borvietsky is. Uh, and I spent like, I've, I seem to always say it, but I've always had a soft spot for the senators and I really like, um, cause he's, he's kind of, to me, he's kind of like, 
like a Chris Tanev or an Alex Edler. He's he was there. Um, I did, did he play with Alfredson for a year or two? Uh, no, I don't think he would have. I he came in just after that. Uh, okay, era. but you know, he he's kind of he's one of the last like for a team that's going through a rebuild. He's one of the last um players that were that were kind of around before said rebuild. So. Um, I think those players are really important. And I, I think the only critical factor when it comes down to those players is how much you're paying them. So this offseason will be super interesting. I do think it's kind of odd that um, they would say something like that, that they specifically say we want to keep him around for his career. I, I, that's just kind of unnecessary and it can break up a lot of problems in the future. But um, if they want to do it, great. And I, I kind of hope they do. But for, for Borowiecki's sake... Uh, maybe maybe give give it some thought this offseason and and see if you have any any interest from other teams. I think I think he owes it to himself at this point, really. Right. Yeah, I don't blame him at all for that. So, we all right. Um, we were about to move on, but then I forgot Vancouver, probably because Luke was making fun of the Habs. But I guess we'll touch on them real quick. Um, real quick. Speaking of comments you shouldn't make, um, Jim Benning on Jake Vertanen said um, he, they expected more, something along those lines of he wasn't as impressive for Vancouver as they would have liked. Um, we would all agree that that's true. Uh, Jake Vertanen did not play that well, but um, I guess Benning cannot decipher uh, what you should say and what you should keep inside. Um, you know, Vertanen is probably on his way out. That's the expectation. Luke, we'll start with you. You're the Canucks fan. Do you think this is, he yeah, shouldn't so have said it. At least acknowledge that he shouldn't have said that. Uh, well, again, there's no reason to say that, but you say Vertanen's probably on his way out. I would have, I agree, but I would have thought that for like the past two, three off seasons, every yep. year I'm like, okay, Vertanen's gone. Like there's no way he comes back. Um, and then he's, he's back the next year. Yeah. So I don't know at this point, the, the one thing you can't forget though, he scored 18 goals this year. Um, he's, he's not, he's not this use useless guy that just goes out there and, makes hits he's uh though i think he did lead the team in hits and he's probably the best <laughs> hitter on the team but he scored he scored 18 goals like you 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 can't ignore that and then benning comes out and makes these these comments and and i just i don't know how the relationship between vertanen and green and benning is still allowing him to to want to be in vancouver and on the opposite side them wanting him here yeah, i don't exactly. get it Exactly. But, but he keeps coming back. So regardless, if they're going to move him, if they're going to trade him um, in whatever way, I I think there is a lot of value with Vertanen and maybe you can add a heavy contract to go along with him, whether, you know, whether it's, it's an Ericsson or a Beagle, you won't really get anything back from that. But I, I think it's worth it because he's obviously not fitting in here. The management clearly does not like him that much. So I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know what's happening in the situation and I'm surprised they've let it go on this long. It seems like I, I feel bad for Vertanen because it just seems like, you know, Vancouver management has just put so much into him at this point that yeah. it's like they're holding on to him for no other reason than the fact that they drafted him so high all those years ago, but you know, I, realistically, they probably should have given Vertanen a fresh start before this year. But it seems like it's just become a recurring theme now that we're gonna slag the guy every yeah. off season yeah. 
to try and get him to improve his play when the, you know, although he was always supposed to be more than what he is right now, he, this is what he is. He's probably a third liner at best uh, in his career. I can't see him getting, I don't see his ceiling being much more than this. So I, I think it's unfair to Vertanen in that aspect that they expect so much more of him just because of how highly he was drafted back in 2014. So I think now especially is time to just give the guy a fresh start. And, yeah. you know, Vancouver's hey, – we're going to talk about it tomorrow, more on tomorrow's show, but Vancouver's got uh, – you know, they're, they're going to have to create some cap space here. And yeah. I think using him, weaponizing Jake Vertanen maybe, is an avenue that sh- they should explore. So – yeah, their their cap space uh, sort of a tricky cap problem. Um, you have Toffoli and Besser. You have Markstrom and Demko. Luke, we'll just sort of do a rapid fire. We more before we move on to um, NHL awards, which I think we're going to close with, unless we need a little bit more stuff to add. Um, Toffoli, do you think he resigns, or do you think he tests the market? And between Toffoli and Besser, I'm assuming you're leaning Besser, but who would you pick? Besser. Um, like I, I, I like Toffoli. I. Like I have no problem with him as a player. I just, I don't, I'm kind of frustrated with the move Benning made to get him, um, especially on, on, on an expiring contract. I just, that didn't really make much sense to me, but regardless, yeah, keep Besser. Um, we, I like when a few months ago, earlier in the summer, when the Besser trade rumors came out, it, it kind of solidified that, uh, one of Besser or Toffoli are going to have to go. And unfortunately, yeah, I think it has to be Toffoli. Um, will Markstrom or Demko, the goalie battle? Keep Demko. I, Keep Demko? I, I know it's a small sample size, that those three playoff games, but pretty good. You, you, have, pretty to good. Make, you have to make a choice. Yeah. Uh, and you can get a lot from you. Well, you should get a lot for Markstrom. If, if you don't get a big return for Markstrom, He's a UFA, um, is he not? He, yeah, he's a UFA. So I'm saying, like, if 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 Markstrom is not a Vancouver Canuck, uh, come well, not October, come whenever, come next season, um, and and you're you're committing to going with Demko, it it better be it better be a sign sign and trade. It better be be something where you get a return for whichever goalie you're you're sending out. Yeah, I think that's unlikely at that point. Uh, if they go the uh, that avenue with Markstrom, if they choose Demko as the guy to stick around, because it seems like they're going to have to make some tough decisions this year. Yeah. I the sign and trade is so it's not used very often. I can see Markstrom just completely foregoing it. Um, but obviously, he is going to free up a little bit of cap space if that happens. And we've said a few times on the show already we've talked a lot about goalies but there are a lot of goalies on the market next year that they should be able to get maybe somebody uh at maybe a 1b option for a little on the cheap end so maybe that's something i'd explore i'd explore maybe somebody like thomas grice would make sense for vancouver and then benning benning said today he's not against having um he didn't say it explicitly but he said like he's not against having a tandem i i believe he was implying markstrom and demko so i and he also said a few days ago he wants to keep Toffoli. So I don't. 
I think is a weird guy. That is a weird GM. Um, <laughs> we can talk about we can talk about GMs maybe a tomorrow's show or next week's show. Do I we think. do we have the three strangest GMs in? Yeah, uh, really. at least in Canada. Honestly, but maybe in the league on this show right here. Yeah. in terms of the uh, fan base representation, we should uh, we should have a GM segment maybe next week where we rate our GMs and talk about the weird things they've said. I know Bergevin, when talking about Tarion, said that when Montreal had like a brutal season, he said, yeah, he's the kind of guy you want to be in a foxhole with. And if you want loyalty, get a dog. And he has these sort of weird um, cliches that he recycles anyway. I don't know if Fox- we're talking, hold on. If we're talking about weird quotes, let me we're just get this out of the way. Like Pierre Dorian, man, come on. We're, we're a team. Uh, after trading Mark Stone, he walked proudly out in front of the media. The first thing he said was today was my proudest day as an NHL GM. Oh man, we but yeah, a conversation for another day because you know yeah. what I could I could start going on for the, on this topic for about an hour right now. So we'll uh, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, the last topic for today, um, and then I'll, I'll of course tee up tomorrow's show. Um, NHL awards, Masterton Trophy went to Bobby Ryan. I think this is well deserved. I know there were a couple people who said it should have been Limblom. I think that's a fair discussion to have, but I think when you're debating who should have it, it takes away from the award itself and the fact that both of them probably deserve it, but it's a waste of time to debate it. I, and think I know it was, it, so. it was voted on before Lindblom made his return. So maybe that factored in. I, like, but at the end of the day, it's, it's such a hard award to yeah. fork out. Who do you give it to? Somebody who um, battled against alcoholism or somebody who battled cancer. Like that's, that's a crazy yeah. question to ask yeah. voters to vote on. Right. I, either way, you can't go wrong with awarding somebody like awarding an award to somebody like that, giving yeah. a trophy to somebody like that. Um, both players equally deserving of the recognition that they are getting. Yeah. And I, I think an award like that maybe probably shouldn't be a thing and we should just put these players on a plateau and use them as an example of how people uh, and fans can better themselves and use them as the inspiration that they both are. Yeah. I think this whole debate takes away from the award itself and how they both are um, should be role models for, for perseverance. Luke, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Like it, it it's just like, you can't, you can't really get the correct decision. Yeah, like it, exactly. It's just kind of, it's, it's not a bad situation. It's just kind of a, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to describe, but yep. Um, Jack Adams, we found out yesterday, um, went to Bruce Cassidy of the Boston Bruins. Um, John Tortorella and I, Alain Vigneault, um, were the two runner-ups. I think Tortorella should have gotten it. Uh, I'm assuming we're all in agreement here. Not that Cassidy didn't deserve it. I think it's hard when Cassidy took over from Julian to maintain that high octane offensive play. Um, you had injuries to Pasternak. Uh, I think he deserves credit. I don't think he deserves the award. Um, are we in agreement? It should have been Tortorella. Nick, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, like I've said before, I do think uh, these good teams and their coaches do deserve recognition because if we're talking about best coach. Like we've got to factor in to how good the team is. And the Boston Bruins were the best regular season team in the NHL this year before the pandemic. And that deserves some type of recognition but John Tortorella uh, deserves a lot of credit himself. He took a Columbus Blue Jackets team that after it lost Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, Sergei Bobrovsky, and Artemi Panarin, was not, there was nothing expected of this team. And he instilled a system uh, that relied on them and how hard they worked. And you could see that every night Columbus battled and battled. They were great this year and they got into the playoffs luckily. And uh, 
took out a really good team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I think that deserves a lot of recognition. I would have liked to have seen him given the Jack Adams, uh, likewise with Barry Trotz, I think, uh, didn't get that many votes, but again, deserves some sort of recognition, in my opinion, because he took a pretty mediocre Islanders team. And I think we're seeing it now, especially in the playoffs, because there's a lot more eyes on them, what exactly Barry Trotz has done to that team. So I think those two deserve some recognition, definitely. I probably would have given it to Torts, though, Luke. Yeah, I, I like out of the three finalists, uh, Cassidy probably would have been uh, my third pick. But I don't know. He's, he's Yeah, he's obviously an incredible coach. But I feel like Tortorella, um, I thought Tortorella was kind of the uh, unanimous winner, like, by March or April. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I was pretty surprised, but what can you do? All right. Let's, uh, let's talk real quickly on, I think this whole Jack Adams thinks it sparked a lot on Twitter and a discussion I actually haven't seen before on hockey Twitter. And that is, uh, that's about whether or not GMs or coaches should win awards. Um, I don't think there should be a GM of the year award. Uh, personally, I want to get your thoughts and then I'll explain my reasoning. Um, I just think for GM of the year, it seems kind of stupid. For example, when, when David Poyle won it, for example, that wasn't when they went to the cup final against Pittsburgh, they had a top four of Ekholm, Subban, Yossi, Ellis. They had depth down the middle. They had secondary scoring. I don't think you can put that entire roster and credit David Poyle for that entire year. That is a series of moves for two decades that led to that. So I think it's kind of silly. And what your definition of GM of the year means, I mean, look, I could say Pierre Dorian's GM of the year for how he did the deadline because he had an excellent deadline. I could say Ken Holland would, would be, would win the deadline because of, you know, he was able to buy without giving up too much. Uh, are you judging it by drafting? Are you judging it by free agency? Uh, which trades you make? There's a lot that goes into it. And I think to just sort of shrink it into one year to me seems silly. Coach of the year is a little bit different, but I think GM of the year, um, I don't think it's uh, it's right. We'll start with you, Luke. Um, I I totally think there should be a coach of the year award. Coach of the year is very um, it's not as as long term as as gem of the year. Sure, it 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 can and does carry over, but um, I do agree with the coach of the year award. GM of the year is a bit tricky because yeah, like you said, um, there is there is the the strict within the year, um, you know, what you do at the deadline or other trades or, and then like, if you get into signing contract extensions, you can't, you can't judge those. You can't add those. Like think of all the tasks that GMs handle. And then even further, it, it's like, it, it maybe should be, should be labeled I'd rather, even this is a bit awkward, I'd rather it be labeled organization of the year or front office of the year because it's it's just such a weird, um, it's just such a weird position to acknowledge for for what the team is doing. And it, it could have absolutely nothing to do with with the GM at hand. It could be, it could be uh, you know, one or two GMs in the past. It's just, it's like, I, I won't, I'm not super worked up about it, but it's it's just yeah. kind of a weird position uh, and a weird award to to give out. I would say the criteria is more so the issue as opposed to the actual concept of these awards. Like, I think we've shifted away from it a bit now, but it seemed before that the Jack Adams was always given to the most improved team. And I think we've we've done a good job over the past couple of years, at least, of starting to shift away from that. 
the GM award, like you said, Pat, it's uh, when David Poyle won it, it was a culmination of moves for several, several years. So I think if they want to award, if they want to keep an award for the GM of the year, that's fine. But I think we just have to evaluate what exactly the criteria is for it. Is a team success winning the president's trophy? Like, should they be judged the same way as a coach is because they're, you know, working the same hours as the coach. And although they're doing different jobs, they're probably just as big of a part of that success. Um, although it's not the day-to-day game-to-game type thing. Or are we judging it based on a culmination of what they do and what their team does that year? Or are we judging it on the transactions they made? Because like you said, uh, then you could have Pierre Dorian and Ken Holland in that conversation this year, despite the fact that those teams, the Senators are pretty bad and the Oilers fell fell flat in the playoffs. So I don't disagree with the concept of what these awards are. I think you just have to modify the criteria and have a specific outline of what you're looking for when you are deciding on these things, because Luke, go, yeah. without that, you get tied up. Luke, go ahead. I, I think every team, like you have to understand every team is at a different um, position in, in, Path, yeah. in, yeah. And like where they're, you're, you're rebuilding, you're, you're up and coming, you're contending. And it's, it's just kind of, I don't know, unfair to to sort of say unless your team is doing well and you're a contender you're not in consideration for a gm of the year because you could be rebuilding and absolutely knocking it out of the park knocking right. it out of the park but you will not be considered for gm of the year because yeah. your team isn't isn't one because the then you probably you probably could have given it to lou lamrello when he was rebuilding the leafs because it seemed like they were just winning winning transactions yeah. so you could have given it to him there two three years in a row so it it really depends on what exactly you're looking for in these awards, which is why I say the criteria is the most important part. Uh, I feel it, like it we, is can, with any award. we can talk about criteria of, like you said, almost every player award, usually the Norris trophy, it's supposed to be best defenseman. It goes to defenseman with the most, most points. Um, Jack Adams, for example, like I, I think Trot should win it uh, this year and last year because he took a team that people were not expecting to do well. And he showed how good of a coach he is. Uh, and, and as far as like free agency goes, you look at, uh, three years ago when Dubas signed Tavares, he won free agency. Uh, I remember when the Islanders signed, uh, Andrew Ladd a few years ago, or, or, um, for example, Calgary got Milan Lucic, people thought Calgary won. So it, it depends on how you, how you value it. Um, if we're talking about what GMs made the best moves this year, regardless of results, I'm definitely pointing towards, uh, Pierre Dorian or Ken Holland. However, we are running out of time here. This has been Take to Take. Patrick Talon joined, as always, alongside Luke Burrows and uh, Nick Robinson, our debut show. You can find us at Twitter. You guys can drop your Twitter handles real quick. Uh, we'll start with you, Luke. At the Luke Burrows. Yeah, mine's Nikos Robinson, N-I-K-O-S Robinson. Mine is uh, Patrick Talon, 81, for lots of hockey stuff. Um, we have a show tomorrow from 7 to 8, just one hour. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about, some armchair GM stuff some scenarios, some team trajectories, uh, maybe even a redraft. We'll see what we do tomorrow. And just to remind everyone who tuned in, this show can be heard on Barnburner Radio Network on its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news and updates. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time.